This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink, all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. A mysterious man in a cloak rides seemingly unmolested into Winterfell like he just sort of rolls up. He's wearing black, so everyone's like, he's got to be cool. My name is Joe Gross. I am the film and culture critic for the Austin American Statesman. And I'm Phil Jankowski, City Hall reporter slash giant nerd. And we are the hosts of Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season, which is a podcast series examining the final season of Game of Thrones over the next six weeks. Hey, folks, this is Joe Gross, and I'm sitting here with Phil Clegane-Boljankowski, and you are listening to the second episode of Win or Die, Analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season. Last week's episode was a character catch-up, sort of where everybody was when we left season seven. And from this week forward, from here on in, we will be summarizing and discussing and arguing about the final six episodes of Game of Thrones. Yay, they're here. They're here. Everybody (laughs) was extremely excited. I don't know what your Sunday was like, but uh, I can tell you that there was a little bit of panic across the United States when it seemed like HBO went out for about 15 minutes. Oh, no. And people were just losing their mind on Twitter. Oh, really? And uh, yeah, it was... was, I didn't experience that, but I actually have in the past planned for that because I was just like, you know what? Everyone's going to be spiking the thing at 8.01 on the dot. I was like, I'm going to wait till 8.30 and, you know, just... Keep my phone turned off and we'll yeah, be good. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Every But the thing about the, I mean, HBO Go was just hilarious. I'm sitting there like ready to take notes and then there's just nothing. I'm yeah. looking on Twitter and they're, everybody's freaking out. And I guess there was something like HBO Go is like sort of the way to watch it and you know, Central American countries. There were all of these tweets from like El Salvador saying, what happened? It was great. (laughs) Uh, But let's dive right in. This was a 50-minute episode, uh, which felt a little on the short side considering that they were promising these massive shows. But in fairness, they got through a lot. And what the big theme was this time around was reunions. Yeah. And people who hadn't seen each other in a very long time Seeing each other for the first time in a while. Sometimes, well, in the case of Jon Snow and and, uh, Bran. And Arya, not since the pilot. The pilot, guys. This is like the 70th episode, and they haven't seen each other since episode one. It was very, very exciting. Let's start with the the credits. The credits were different this year for the first time. Super cool. We went into, it was still the same sort of animated deal, but we suddenly went into all of these castles and all these keeps and underground and finally landed on the Iron Throne. And it dawned on me while I was watching it that we have been watched. The credits are from a dragon's perspective. Oh, yeah. For, for the first seven seasons, because you're, you're flying over the map. And in this season, you're suddenly, it's suddenly very human that you are inside all these buildings, yeah. you know, suddenly very human sized. It's also just very reflective of 
how much less uh, globe trotting there's going to be because all of these characters, as we said, the theme of, uh, the theme of this was kind of reunions. Everybody's getting condensed into really. There's two two places: yeah. King's Landing and Winterfell. Yeah, and that that's pretty much it. You know, the uh, the army of the dead is going to reach Winterfell first. But let's start at the beginning. Winterfell does not look like a fun place to live. No. It's muddy and it's wet and it's freezing cold all the time. And we see this kid in an echo of the first episode of the first season watching the king and queen sort of march into Winterfell. In the first episode of the first season, it was Robert Baratheon and Cersei and and brother coming to town to pay a call on Ned Stark. And this time around, Arya was the one watching a little kid, you know, climb a tree to get a better look at the Unsullied. Yeah, letting him, letting him get, get by. Too. Yeah, letting she him get by. Says, okay, it's your, it's your turn. It was very, yeah, it was very sweet. And, you know, the other big theme of this episode was what happens when you bring your girlfriend home to meet your family for the first <laughs> time. And it's just a complete disaster. That's true. And uh, it, things did not go well for Danny. She was just not able to make friends at all with any of these. Yeah, any of these Starks. Just to just to go back to that opening scene, though, it is it does. There's so much in it that does parallel the pilot. Even the song that they have as they're marching up is the same one from when Robert Baratheon was marching up to Winterfell all the way back then. So they oh, wow. Pay, yeah, they pay some homage to that. There's a lot of sort of just parallel structure there mm-hmm. right at the very beginning, that being part of it. But yeah, they arrive and the Northerners do not look that happy to uh, see them. No, they don't. And they're in sort of an odd position. John essentially bounced after being sort of declared the king in the north. And then he kind of left. Yeah. And left Sansa in charge. And you get this thing where, you know, if you're going to be a ruler, you have to rule. If you're going to be a leader, you have to lead. Yeah. Uh, that's that's and the, we'll, we'll the first requirement. Yeah, we'll see, and, and we'll we start seeing this kind of rift that starts happening there almost right from the get go. When they go into the the great hall, there it becomes almost immediately apparent just with little Lord Umber. Yeah, that's who's poor, like, who the heck do dude. I thank for this? You know? Yeah, it gets. I mean, it gets, yeah, it gets weird fast. We see all the players that are in Winterfell now. Tyrion and Varys are there. The Hound is there. Davos Seaworth is there. Uh-huh. Gendry's there. And, of course, Danny and Jon. Yeah. And they they meet in the Great Hall. And Sansa's kind of running the show. And then in a moment of really extraordinary fan service, uh, Lyanna Mormont stands up <laughs> yeah. and just slaps Jon around. Oh, yes. You left Winterfell a king and came back. I'm not sure where you are now. A lord? Nothing at all? That was tremendous. It was. And John looks genuinely embarrassed that he, you know, he's realizing that PR has never been his strong suit. (laughs) And he's just realizing that he screwed up, that he kind of did leave them in the lurch. Yeah. And Sansa's, you know, sitting there doing the homework and saying, you know, while you were off making out with, you know, people who probably want to kill us. I'm sitting here trying to keep our people fed through the winter, and oh, geez, thanks for showing up with an army that you can't necessarily feed. I thought that was so unfair because it's like the whole point was like we need to have people, we need that, we need to build an army, and he's like, I've got an army, I've got some dragons, and she's like, how do we feed them? It's like who cares about feeding them when there's when you got the army of the dead coming? Well, true, but the and he, and he does kind of say so. He does get up into after she says that he's well at one point he kind of just says that like he's like that's that's just. This is what we needed power for allies, and I got power for allies. Yeah. Sansa's, Sansa's in a difficult position, and I think it's 
we talked a little bit about how she's grown. Yeah. Her how her character has grown in really extraordinary ways. And I think in these in these opening scenes where the Starks reunite, you see that those relationships it's like when you go home for Christmas and everybody's sort of and you're an adult and everybody sort of ha- is struggling to not slip back into the roles that they had as kids. And these family dynamics just keep popping up. And John is sort of bouncing around, hugging people for, you know, five or six minutes yeah. at a time. And everybody else is like, where have you been? This what did is- you say? So it must have some sort of like magical hugs or something yeah, like that. He does, he does <laughs> seem, that. everybody seems to, seems to love hugging him. Um, speaking of the the first big hug that he gives is to is to Bran, mm-hmm. which is right there, right, right in that scene. And there's just this sort of great exchange where he says, "You're a man now," and then Bran replies, "Almost." And then like yeah. stares out of the view, you see like Sansa kind of looking over at him, and she's just there, like, "Yeah, I've been putting up with this yeah, totally. BS for quite a while. Yeah, now our, it's your turn." Yeah, our our, our <laughs> here's Bran. Our weird brother is just kind of a freak. But then Bran, just to make sure, because this is important, even though it seemed like they ignored it, Bran's like, "We ain't got time for this. There's an army and dragons coming." Everyone's like, "He's right." Also, let's let's make time for all of us. Yeah, <laughs> we also get a couple of other really great reunions. Sansa and Tyrion. Uh, after Tyrion the Great Hall, you know, makes his case for Jon Snow, he and Sansa meet, and you probably know this, and I don't. They are still married, right? Yeah, it's but he openly calls it a sham marriage. He's not asking anything right. uh, of, okay. of her or of that. But yeah, these two haven't seen each other since the Purple Wedding, where yeah. Geoffrey died and she fled. Uh, yeah, which he says that was kind of awkward for me. Yeah, uh, th- yeah. No, the best moment in that scene is Tyrion. So calls Joffrey's wedding a miserable affair, and Sansa says it had its moments. And Tyrion kind of looks at her like, "Dang, yeah, like you're not playing. Yeah, you are. You're you are in charge." She's not going to say anything like, "Yeah, it's really too bad Joffrey's dead," because it's not. He was an awful, awful person. Yeah. She also thinks that Tyrion is a stone cold idiot for trusting his sister. Yeah, you've been on the calling out. Tyrion for a while and now the show is like well the show's catching up with Sansa what does she say she says basically I used to think you were the cleverest person I know but you really think your sister's sending an army he's it's it's very odd he used to be an extremely smart guy and you know I was reminded over the weekend I was looking some stuff up from various earlier seasons and there's a scene and I think it's season six where he's in marine with Grey Worm and Missandre and he wants to move everyone out of the pyramid. Yeah. And Grey Worm is like, you have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. We stay here because this is easiest to defend. And then it becomes sort of a moot point because Danny shows up with dragons. But it's like as far back as season six, Tyrion was reminding people that he's not a wartime conciliary. Yeah. Like he's just not, it's not what he's good at. Yeah, but this seems even, this seems even worse than just making like, tactical decisions with armies actually trusting its sister it, yeah it's it's an awful 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 idea yeah and the john and Arya reunion is similarly sort of mixed he's thrilled to see her yeah. and you know those two always had a wonderful relationship but he still thinks of her as like seven years old yeah and when uh she pulls out the sword and he says like as if you know he's a big brother he says something like have you ever used that once or twice yeah and the look on Arya's face when she says once or twice it's like 
I've killed like dozens of people. Yeah. <laughs> and you have no idea about it. And I'm actually a trained assassin. Right. There is another throwback to the pilot here. This reminds me of Ned and Catelyn at the tree in the pilot. But also when they hug, he he picks her up into the air. He did the exact same thing in the pilot. Is that oh. just the best? Very exciting. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, no, no, no. But yeah. Uh, yeah, she says that, you know, that once or twice. And then he starts talking about Sansa. And he says, she thinks she's so smart. And she basically replies back, she is the smartest person I've ever known. And then he says, you're defending her. She says, I'm defending my family. Yeah. It's, it's a very awkward reunion because he is no longer Team Stark. Mm-hmm. He is Team Targaryen. And... I mean, in more ways than he knows. Yeah. But he is no longer the king of the north, and which he keeps saying over and over again. And people keep saying, yeah, that's a problem, dude. Right. You are responsible for these people and you are responsible to your family. And talking smack about your sister who's been running the show while yeah. you're not here is kind of not cool. And then we get to places that aren't Winterfell. We check in with Bronn at King's Landing, who is with three extremely naked prostitutes. And it's very old school sex position-y, which they used to do all the time on the show and yeah. don't do anymore. Yeah. And then uh, I can't imagine anything less pleasant when you're in that situation than Kyburn showing up. <laughs> and that dude is just, you know, I kind of love it when the three prostitutes leave and one of them kind of hits on him. Yeah. And yeah, he looks at her like she's kind of a bug or something. He says, shame, the pox will get here in a year yeah, or something like that. You're a Oh, God, you're a freak. Yeah. Such a freak. Yeah. And I love how, like, (laughs) yeah, Kyburn just sort of, like, finishes the job because at first he's there with the whores on the the bed and they start talking about Eddie the Ginger, who apparently has had his whole face burned off and is missing their islands. And he's like, can can we not talk about Eddie the Ginger? And they're like, fine. And then Kyburn comes in. (laughs) Yeah. And and Bronn's like, I guess when I'm not doing this now. But then Kyburn essentially says to Bronn, I want you to assassinate Jamie and Tyrion. Yes. And here is our favorite weapon, the crossbow of sadism. Yeah, and low-key, like, one of the most shocking moments, because of course Cersei would want Tyrion killed. Yeah. But you just assume that there was still enough love there between her and Jamie, but no, she's ordered the hit. She, as she said in the last episode, nobody walks out on me. Yeah. And Jamie, I remember when he bounces off to Winterfell thinking, you know, you just walked out on the most dangerous woman in Westeros. I don't know if this is going to end well. This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by the Alamo Drafthouse. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com. But then we see Theon and Yara, which is great. Yara has is tied to a mast on Euron's boat, and Euron, still the uh, skeeziest man in Westeros, yaks at her about what a badass he is and how he's going to win the queen's hand. And how he's going to bed the how queen. How he's going to bed, yeah, how he's going to bed the queen. And Yara gives him a look that's sort of like, I can't believe I'm losing to you. <laughs> you, you are dumb as a rock. And then eventually uh, Theon shows up, And it's just a good reminder that the Greyjoys are deeply weird on their own because Theon rescues her and Yara, first thing, 
headbutts him. Yeah. And it's kind of hilarious because it's not, she doesn't smack him. She doesn't punch him. She doesn't stab him. She headbutts him. Yeah. Just like, you people are very odd. <laughs> um, if we could step back just to, sure. we do have to mention that with Euron, he brings the Golden Company. Yes. And bringing the Golden Company, um, which is great and all, but no elephants, Joe. No, no elephants. No elephants. There was very, uh, you know, that, that ended up being memeable almost immediately. Everybody was very sad for Cersei. She's so sad. She didn't get the elephants she wanted. She was super into them being there. And there, I saw a couple of people on Facebook wondering, like, why she wanted them. And A, elephants are cool. Yeah. And But B, war elephants have traditionally been a good anti-cavalry uh, measure. Is wow. that horses yeah. freak out when stampeding elephants try to get, like even disciplined horses? Yeah. I, and, don't, I don't think they're getting too much that far into that as far as far as no. that because it's also like you think about that and be like, wouldn't the horses be kind of freaked out by a couple uh, dragons? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's probably wise. But it really was wonderful when she decides that she's just like, Ugh, I really wanted I, those elephants. I'm gonna sleep with this moron. And elephants are no. <laughs> after, yeah, afterwards she's like, I really wanted those elephants. Like that's all she's been thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of don't. I kind of don't blame her because he just seems insufferable. Yeah, he's just. I can't wait for him to die. Yeah, I, I will be so happy when he dies because yeah, he, he as you said, truly insufferable. She says you're you're arrogant. I like that. I'm like he's arrogant and it's awful. It's really the worst. He's and, just so irritating. Yeah. But then just one little moment after he leaves, she she says there. Well, there's two things I want to point out. She's supposed sure. to be pregnant, but she's drinking wine. So I, I'm like, okay, but maybe I remember from the finale of season seven that's how Tyrion deduces that she's pregnant yeah he shows up he's point. like i can't believe she's not drinking wine yeah that she's drinking wine so i'm just curious what's going on there if anything but then the other thing euron puts his hand on her belly and says i'm gonna put a prince in you and then he leaves and you see this moment of sadness in her in her eyes what do you think's going on there i think that she has i'm, I'm going back to the the michael corleone riff because she's ordered her brother both of her brothers killed yeah the wine, I think, is another symbol, because if she was actually pregnant the last time, the wine might be a symbol that she's sort of stopped caring about Jamie's kid, about yeah. this new kid, because Jamie has picked the North over her, and she is not into it. And that is that is a nice little moment. But I got I to gotta say, for a 50-minute show, they packed a tremendous amount of plot in here. We've got Davos Seaworth. Mentioning that he's he just sounds determined to wed John and Danny. Yeah. Which is a lot of I mean, that was always a fan theory about what a song of ice and fire meant. Yeah. But it struck me as so ham fisted that it was a proposal um, is what I propose. Yeah. It, well, yeah. And it just struck me that the way they presented that piece of information was so obvious and without subtlety that it could be a nice indication that at the end of the day this isn't going to be john and danny it's going to be john versus danny yeah that's it seems to be they're they're setting that up and we'll get to that when we get to the scene in the in the crypts of winterfell but yeah it should be just another we just want to keep pointing out another parallel with the pilot um is that during that one that's the one where uh robert baratheon proposed a proposal as well between sansa and joffrey saying we want to unite the north with the power in yeah. king's landing yeah that didn't go that did not go well that didn't go well uh, uh, the other great reunion that we see between Arya and somebody else Arya runs into the hound yeah while gendry is making weapons out of dragon glass 
and uh, he and he and the hound have a little exchange. Two sort of interesting things happen in this scene. Arya refuses to blank when confronted with the hound, who's just like, "I'm glad you're still alive." When he doesn't say, "I'm glad you're still yeah, alive," which I'm glad. Yeah, he didn't say no. And he's just like, you're still alive. Whatever, man. And then bounces. And then she kind of flirts with Gendry a little bit. Yeah. Which genuinely threw me because you never, ever see that. I know. And then she hands over. I couldn't tell what it was. Yeah, me neither. But she handed over the blueprints for something. She was like, can you make me this? And he's like, why? And she's like, just do it. Just do it. Which is really what you want from somebody in a that you're asking to build you something. Like, don't, don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to answer any more questions. Just make the thing. That's what you're here for. <laughs> so on the Hound, I really, truly, one of my favorite parts of the episode, because it didn't, because I was a little bit afraid that it was going to kind of devolve into this, like, oh, I do care for you, whatever. But no, he stayed, you know, I, I feel like you could see through him and see that he's glad to see her. But instead, you know, he's like, last time I saw you left me for dead and she's like yeah but I robbed you first and then what does he say he says basically like you're a cold bitch and that's why you survived yeah. and and like I think he's like he's insulting her but I feel like he's saying that with like pride yeah just like oh I shaped you into the yeah, but extremely on, unpleasant tiny person you are today yeah with Gendry I mean like it does seem odd but oh man I'm I'm into it I'm shipping them let's do let's do this thing yeah <laughs> The next thing that we see, and it was my least favorite part of the episode, was Danny and John on the dragon. Seems to be the consensus. Ugh. This show, to me, is never worse when it's trying to be cute. It can yeah. be extremely funny. Yeah. But all of the humor comes from the writing and almost none of it from situational stuff. I mean, there are a couple of moments that have been funny based on the situation, but they've all been acting based. Yeah. This was almost goofy. Yeah. And I, they killed in entirely too much time yeah i felt i felt like we're going from watching game of thrones one of the most like grisly shows ever made to watching how to train your dragon or whatever it's like we go in tone from this ultra serious r-rated to oh here's this pg let's all smile even the music is it really is just like it in, was rough it's rough yeah it's rough but i will say the tone was off it needed to be done they needed to get him on a dragon like, mm -hmm. because it would be preposterous if during some future scene, which we all expected him to, to get on a dragon and, and wreck shop, uh -huh. it would be just preposterous for that to be the first time he's ever gotten on a dragon. They needed to establish that he is capable of riding a dragon. They just did it in such a goofy way. I mean, they, they could have done that scene. They could have just focused more on how treacherous it was. You know, is this yeah. dragon going to accept you? Bad moments where it seems like he's going to fall off or something like that. But no, it's just it's like, oh, everything's nice and happy. And now we're smooching by a waterfall yeah it did not work out and you've got that shot of the dragon sort of looking at him like Meh. yeah and yeah that was just goofy and stupid not not fun which they promptly followed with the best acted scene in the show when danny and jorah show up in what i guess is the winterfell library like they've tracked sam down so danny can thank him for curing jorah's grayscale yeah. and Sam is all proud and mentions he's a Tarly, and suddenly things get very awkward when Danny, again, not reading the room, 
decides to tell him right there and then, by the way, I killed your father and brother yeah. because they wouldn't bend their knee to me. I give her credit for being straightforward on that. At the, I mean, you're shaking your head no. No, I mean. And I mean, like, he, he's going to find out. And it, and it would be best that he found out from her. That's a fair point. But, uh, yeah, the thing about that scene is just, yeah, seeing the difference between how John Bradley, the, the actor who plays uh, Sam Tarley, watching how he reacts, and he doesn't even, he doesn't really say much either, how he reacts between learning that his father has died, mm. and then the extra whammy that his brother has died. Yeah. And seeing how much more the, the death of his brother affects him. He kind of, yeah, he kind of figured he wasn't going to, relationship with his father was obviously a yeah. mess, but his brother always seemed like a completely reasonable human being. Yeah. And, you know, Sam gets shipped off to the Citadel, and... And it was just a nice reminder that, oh, that's right, people die constantly on this show, and we very rarely see grief. Yeah. You know, nobody ever cries for anybody else on this program. And Sam is a genuinely good person. Mm -hmm. and One of the few. Yeah. And he, you know, he is genuinely freaked out by this. And then something sort of changes in Sam. Like, we, we almost see it on his face. And it's just sort of like, screw this. John and I need to talk. And we need to talk right now. Yeah. But Bran pushes him towards it. Bran says, he needs to know. He needs to know now. And you need to tell right. him. He's, and he says, you're his brother. And he's like... I am not not. Yeah, yeah I, I I'm not I'm barely human. Now. Yeah, he trusts you. You're yeah. the one that needs to deliver this news. And he's right. He, yeah. He and is right. We get this wonderful scene where John's hanging out in the crypt and Sam says, look, as much as you admire Ned Stark, that's not actually your dad. Yeah. You're Aegon Targaryen. You're the heir to the Iron Throne. You need to know this right now, and you need to figure out what this means. And there's a kind of a great scene where, or great moment, when Kit Harrington looks like he's going to punch Sam. Yeah, because he's, he's he calling just, my father a liar. Yeah, he's just so shocked and, and Sam horrified. has a great reply to that. He says, he basically says, I'm not calling him a liar. I'm saying he did this to protect you. Yeah, and he, do, he does get to the conclusion that I'm such a moron. I didn't really think through earlier. It's like, well, why didn't he tell him earlier? It's like, well, he was protecting him because Robert yeah. would have killed him. And so I, I want to point out two things about this scene. Yeah. The first is going back to parallels between the pilot. The last time that two men have talked about Lyanna Stark in the crypts of Winterfell, again, Robert Baratheon, Ned Stark, season one, episode one. Amazing. The second thing is the subtle camera work, because we start with John at the statue of Ned Stark. And as we progress that scene, the camera pans a little bit. You see John in profile and in the back, out of focus, but there is the statue to Lyanna Stark as he is finding out such a good touch. Yeah. One of the best scenes of the thing. It's what we've been waiting for. Sam calls him Aegon Targaryen. We all do a fist bump mm -hmm. into the air, but it sets up this conflict because Sam immediately is like, you're the rightful heir. Right. And the line, the line is pretty great. Sam looks at him and says, you gave up your crown to save your people. Yes. Would she do the same? And when we see the reaction on Kit Harrington's face, we realize what he realizes, that the answer is absolutely not. Yeah. She would incinerate Jorah and Davos and Tyrion if it meant she ran Westeros. Right. And she has said it over and over again. I was born for this. I was born, I was born this. for this. And then if she finds out, actually, you weren't. He, yeah. he was. That's not great. And then we get one of the more horrifying moments of the show. The horrifying. The horrifying moment of the, of the show. show. 
it's always nice to see this show engage in genuine like horror film imagery. Yeah. When we see Tormund, Beric, and Dolores Ed, who have clearly been just like running the whole time from Winterfell. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, from the wall. But at uh, first, they're kind of. Cre- it is very much almost like a classic horror because they're they're silently creeping through a dark hallway. What lurks around the corner? Oh, it's Dolores Ed. Yeah. And then it gives kind of the funniest moment of it of it too, where he's like, he's got blue eyes. And he, he's, Watch yeah. out, he's got blue eyes. I've always had blue eyes. Yeah. You're like Tormund there with the one liner. Love you, baby. It's. Yeah, it's very, very funny. And then they turn a corner and see poor Lord Umber. Oh, who poor we, little Ned Umber. Yeah, who we saw at the sit-down in the Great Hall, nailed to a wall, Yeah, surrounded by a spiral of body parts, Ugh. which is a really good way to creep out absolutely anybody who's watching it. And we know from earlier episodes that the White Walkers do like to arrange dead bodies yes, in weird again, patterns. When we saw that, Season one, episode Season one, one episode the pilot, one, yeah. the very first scene. It's it's clear that they mapped this episode on yeah. the pilot in a lot of ways, and that was a nice reminder that what the just what the stakes are. Yeah, yeah, and and we've seen that imagery before, that spiral pattern. Yeah, and, and gosh, I watched the I'm the I'm that nerd that watched the episode two times in a row last I mean, night. Fair enough. And the it's actually really cool going back when I saw it the second time because actually like they're talking and before the kid screams, his, his eyes actually open but he's kind of out of focus oh. so i saw that and then ah, i started screaming i mean that was a definite jump scare moment and a really great one and i loved it it was really really well done that was the that was the moment where you know folks i was watching it with were like oh this is going in a new direction and then they have mm-hmm. to incinerate yeah. this uh little, little zombie dude yeah and then we get one final kind of hilariously sketchy reunion when a mysterious man in a cloak rides seemingly unmolested into Winterfell like he just sort of rolls up. He's wearing black, so everyone's uh, uh, like, he's got to be cool. Yeah, exactly. And uh, he gets off his horse, and it's Jamie Lannister, the Kingslayer. Yay! And then he sees Bran... Who Uh-oh. he probably thought was dead, yes. long dead. Yes, and Bran's been sitting there in his wheelchair like the whole time. Because yeah. remember, he's like, or I think it was Sam's, like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Waiting for an old friend." And it's like, has anyone pushed him back to bed or anything? Ah, uh, it's magnificent. And it's wonderful. It's really funny, and the the expression on Nikolaj Kosterwaldu's face is hilariously funny. I thought it was, well, you find it funny. I, I found thought it extreme, I was into it. I, I found it extremely amusing. And I think the internet did too. Somebody put the Curb Your Enthusiasm closing music yeah, over was, that scene. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> Phil's like, I did not find that amusing No, I found all. it funny and it's memeable or whatever. And I honestly think it's just because Brand's just such an unusual character. But like, I thought it was a great scene. No, it was okay. terrific. I mean, it, you know, he is, and again, hearkening back to the first episode, or I think it's the first episode. It is the first episode. Yeah. The final scene of the first episode is, is, him, heading out of is the tower. him throwing Bran out of the Bran tower. Out of the tower. And that's where we close. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty fantastic. And the thing that's really wonderful about it is the reversal of power like it's gone 180 degrees bran is basically a god and jamie's on the run from his family and has no idea that his sister called out a hit on him yeah no right hand no right hand they've had very different you know past seven years 
It's um, been hard on them both. And you could say emotionally, you've seen Jamie grow and you've seen the exact opposite with Bran, who's like, I'm a kid. And then now he's just like, I am Bran. He, I see. Oh. Yeah, he might, you know, he might no longer be on this plane. <laughs> so did you watch the uh, scenes for next week? Yeah. Uh, the scenes for next week bring up a very important point that I think people, it's sort of easy to forget that Jamie killed Danny's father. Straight up yeah. mur- murdered him. Yeah. In cold blood. It's going to be a lot of tough conversations it's gonna that be, Jamie's yeah. going to have to have. It's just going to be, yeah. It, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of awkward moments between Jamie uh-huh. and everyone else. And I think this is, I think, you know, next episode is definitely where I think we're going to see Brianne step up. Yeah. She, she had basically no role in this. She had no role in, the, in this episode. But she showed up in one scene. That, that, that was it. She didn't have a single line. And she's the one at Winterfell who knows Jamie the best now. Yeah. Yeah. And she's going to be in a position of saying like I actually trust this guy. Yeah. When and I think you should too when you have absolutely no reason to. All right, let's wrap up with a couple of quick predictions for next week. What do you think's going down? You know, I it's hard to say. I feel like next week's just another setup episode. The third the third episode is called The Battle of Winterfell, so that's when we're going to see some real action taking place. Mm-hmm. I do predict we are going to see the Night King finally. I think that's how the episode ends was with the army of the dead at the walls of Winterfell. Yeah, I think I mean, it's going to be a lot of tough conversations for Jamie, but I think ultimately they're going to embrace it. I mean, that that's really kind of going to be the most interesting thing that we see is just his interactions with people. Also, I mean, they did show that that Tormund and company are going to arrive. I'm curious to see what if their journey's going to have any hardships to it whatsoever. But yeah, I feel like it's it's going to be another another setup episode. So I I'm wondering when we're going to start seeing a body count on yeah. main characters. It was only little Ned Umber that bit the big one. Uh, yeah, no one Ned. cares about him. They do not. Yeah, so uh, yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. I wouldn't be surprised if one of those one of the three of Tora, Beric, and Dolores Ed. I wouldn't be surprised if one of them gets picked off on the way to Win- Winterfell. I feel like we got to start killing some characters off, and we've only got five more episodes left. So yeah, let's get started. Fair enough. I just really hope that somebody gets Cersei an elephant. She really, really <laughs> wanted one. Really wants one. Thanks for joining us for Win or Die, analyzing Game of Thrones, the final season. I am Joe Gross. And I'm Phil Jankowski. And we'll see you next week. Win or Die is hosted by Joe Gross and Phil Jankowski and produced, engineered, and edited by Jane Alexander for Austin 360, The Austin American Statesman, and Gatehouse Media. This episode of Win or Die is brought to you by Alamo Drafthouse. For handcrafted cocktails, chef-driven menus, and programming ranging from the classics to the latest Marvel action, all with zero talking or texting interruptions, there's only one place to go. Alamo Drafthouse, the best film, food, and drink, all in one seat. For movies and showtimes, visit drafthouse.com.